Pass First point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. Listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the app and join me this week, Wednesday, 6 p.m. to get in on the action. Spotify Greenroom, changing the way we talk sports. In today's episode, we are joined by none other than Mark Schindler, the co-founder and co-host of Premium Hoops at premiumhoops.org and a regular contributor to Indie Cornrows. Mark, we are so happy to have you. So we'll just start broad and then we'll we'll zero in on maybe some specific some specific thoughts on on this team. But like, Mark, where do they go from here? Uh, big off season ahead. What do they do? Yeah, um, I mean that's kind of the question, right? Especially given how the last couple of weeks have gone. Um, you see what happened to Denver. Denver pretty handily figured out how to beat this Blazers team, and then got absolutely smacked by by right. the Suns. Um, yeah, I mean, this is correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, I'm not out in in the Northwest, but this is the most uh, the, the most tenuous looking off season for the Blazers uh, in the Damian Lillard era, other than when Lamarcus left, I guess. But even then, I don't know if I consider that the Dame era yet. Um, I think the first thing for me is I'm not trading Damian Lillard. I know uh, I think it was Aaron Fentress who asked uh, um, Neil O'Shea that it was an incredible question. Um, but I, as far as I'm concerned, there's, there's no, no reason to trade Dame. Like, I think you have to go all in on figuring that out. But again, that's, that's on the front office. Um, but there's significant changes needed to be made on the roster if you're going to be more competitive next year. And I just don't know quite what those roster moves are right now. Yeah. I mean, you don't trade Dame unless you're blowing it up and going to another thing. Like, um, I, and I, I don't think there's, I, you know, you trade Dame to get draft picks in order to draft Damian Lillard. Uh, you want to like, that's why you accumulate draft exactly. picks. We're all, everyone's so obsessed with, with assets and all this stuff. Like that's, there's some sort of like, um, I don't know, there's this, there's this push sort of in the basketball zeitgeist of like everyone being responsible with, with their clean cap sheets and, and accumulating assets. But like you do all that shit. So you have one of the 10 best players in the NBA. Uh, the Blazers have that. The hard part is what they're having to do this off season, but I don't think you don't trade Dame until he wants to leave or, or you either trade him when he asked to leave or never. That's, those are the two in my eyes. Those are the two times you trade him. Um, just sort of like in general, are you a believer in the value of continuity or like, or are you sort of like pro pro change for lack of a better term? Um, I honestly would say I'm more pro change. Um, I think continuity is real, but only if like, if you're first round continuity, then is it really continuity? Um, right. Like it's, I mean, in covering the Pacers, like it's in a very similar air. Like, uh, you know, it's very possible that they run back with a largely the same team, uh, for a third year in a row. And I, I push back on that. I think, yes, there have been like, you have injuries that pop up, of course. Like I think if Nurk doesn't get injured this year, if, um, I mean, if Nurk is right this year, because obviously I think his injury uh, last year played a, a decent part in, in how he looked for the majority of this year. But also, sure. if CJ doesn't have his injury, I mean, CJ was having the best year of his career before that injury pops up um, and was still good when he came back. But it's just, you know, that stuff throws a wrench and maybe you have different seating. Who knows? Um, but point being, like, you can't just wait around for health all the time. And I think with how long this team has been together. Um, I'm not going to devalue the fact that they made the Western Conference Finals. I know uh, some people have. I, I think the, the fact that you get there, that matters. Um, but I just think there's a very cl- very clear ceiling right now on how everything has looked. Um, 
I, I do think you have to look at trading CJ McCollum because he's the most valuable player on the roster that you are going to trade. Um, I, I don't know what that necessarily nets back. And I know that's tough because um, Dame is really tight with CJ. Um, but I, I also think at the same time, like, I just don't know what else you're doing that brings back something meaningful or someone meaningful, I should say, uh, if you're not trading him. Um, so I, I don't know if you agree, but that's where, where I'm at with it right now. Yeah, I think both of us don't really like to play trade machine, so I'm not going to I'm not going to hate you hate up with, playing uh, with trade machine so much. I'd rather uh, talk about my what's listeners know. Yeah, I, I, I say it all the time on the podcast. My favorite part of basketball is the basketball. Um, yeah, I know people get, get jonesed up for the offseason. So I don't want to like I don't want to hate on people who are excited for mm -hmm. roster building and all those things. Uh, the people who are excited about clean cap sheets and future assets. I hear y'all. I make a podcast every freaking day of the week. This is for you. Um, but it's it's not the thing that I get jonesed up about. Um, you know, you you you're a contributor at Indie Cornrows, um, someone who's got a, a got a, a good grasp on on the Pacers. I think they're kind of in, maybe not a similar place because they didn't make the playoffs and 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 whatever. But you know, looking for a new coach and having a roster that seems to be decent but doesn't quite fit. Like, uh, when you're thinking about maybe just sort of trades as like a theoretical exercise, uh what are what like from the lens of the Pacers, like what are they looking for? Cause they don't, they, they also want to be good. Is that, is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I think so. Kevin Pritchard just talked a little bit about, um, you know, if, if they're just going to be stuck going one way, um, he'd be open to, to blowing the team up and uh, sure. not in those exact words, of course, cause that's like the kind of stuff that gets you well, not fired, but like if, if a GM literally said, Oh, we're thinking about blowing the team up, that would be like, it, that would be wild. Yeah, we, um, we would already be. We've already had the podcast about that one if he had said that. But I know what you mean, like that he's yeah. he says we can only you, you can only go so far thinking that it's going to work for you. Yeah, exactly. So I think I mean, they're trying to uh, to make changes to to get to a, a, a better spot. And I do agree. Like, I think if that team was fully healthy this year and um, had had a better coaching situation, I think is a decent way to put it it's a lot there um then <laughs> yeah i think that that team maybe tips out as like a four seed um and i think right. that reasonably they could get three or four seed um which i don't think is anything to scoff at you know if things break right maybe you make a conference finals is how it's been with portland but it's different like you mentioned they have damian lillard it's uh having a top 10 player makes a world of difference so i think um i actually look at it in, i mean the draft lotteries tonight before we're recording i mean after we're recording um I'm really interested to see, like, I mean, I think they have a 1.8% chance of getting a top four pick. So it's a pipe dream. I've been trying to tell my listeners and just fans in general, like, please do not get too hopeful. Like the lottery balls just do not fall this way. No, they're um, all sending but, you the dumb and dumber me, man. So you're saying yeah, yes, there's exactly. a chance. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, but I look at it like almost if they did have an opportunity at a top four pick, like if they did get a top four pick, I'd be very open to, to blowing the team up and just saying, okay. You know, um, there's there's a ceiling. It's been hit to an extent um, and there's a chance to build around somebody who is going to maybe take you to a higher level after where you've been stuck at. Because I think people often look at like with Portland is so different to me because like they had this one first round exit after a couple of prolonged playoffs since that I thought, you know, it's again, it's not sexy because you're not making the finals, but I still think it matters to to go far in the playoffs being good um, is with hard. the Pacers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, it's, it's hard to do. Like it's, it's hard. That's a difficult to build a pretty good roster in the West is a really challenging thing. 
Exactly. Like, I mean, the Pacers can't even do it in the East. So it's like how doing it out West is an entirely different thing. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's there's value in continuity if it's going to keep taking you to a, maybe a slightly better spot. Um, but if the continuity is like actually keeping you in the same spot, like continuity is a finicky, finicky thing to me because I think continuity is about like, I think of it like a pyramid almost like you're trying to build upwards to the next spot. Um, so like I value the the continuity that the Blazers have had, like if you look at the continuity that the Pacers have had, it's uh, it's more like looking at somebody building a uh, like a, a hedge fence, like, OK, it's the same level all the way across. Like if you're looking at what the Blazers are trying to do, they're trying to get to like the last two or three rungs. So that's a right. That's how I'd answer that on continuity. Yeah, I think it's funny, like there's so much roster changeover in the league. Typically, that it's like when you see teams like, oh, this team stuck together, look at the continuity. It's like, well, that team probably won a lot. Like the te- the teams that win a lot, it kind of like feeds itself into continuity. Let's keep this really good group together. Um, you don't really see, and maybe the the Denver Nuggets or something will buck this trend of a team that like truly, maybe the Hawks too, as as um you know at, for as young as that group is, and depending on what happens with John Collins, like a team that like truly comes from okay, we were bad together then we were pretty good together, then we were competitive together, and now we're championship level together. Like, it's very rare to build that way. For the most part, teams are built haphazardly. Um, and you say, oops, we skipped a step, let's let's sign a big free agent. Or, oops, we this draft pick really hit. Let's say, we're going to take a big step forward. Um, you don't usually... You don't usually get to build with the rungs, like in ter- if you're building a championship. It's just not how it works in the league. So teams that do have continuity have continuity because they won, and then it and then you sort of reverse engineer it and say this core stays together. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, man. Like, um, it, I think that's what's so hard too, because you look at teams like I don't love just being a small market apologist, but I mean it's just realistic looking at at, at both Portland and, and Indiana, like. You're, you have to, in some ways, it, it is coming through continuity or, or trying to right. um, find some kind of market inefficiency to, to to better your team because, all right, even if we win 55 games, LeBron's not signing here. Um, Anthony Davis isn't signing here. Like, you, you, you don't have that in your back pocket. You don't have that to look forward to in the summer. And I don't think that means that you can't win a title. I, I don't love thinking like that because I do think there it, it's still viable to do it um, in other scenarios. Like, I look at almost when I uh, when I look at the way that I think teams should build if they're not you know the five five teams who are able you know pulling the LeBron or AD or, or whoever um, like like what Toronto did I think that's right. the way I look at it just be as good as you can right now obviously there are times where okay you know like this year like w- what happened with them this year part of it is weirdest season of all time almost that I guess second after last year um, but this one <laughs> almost was weirder in some ways too yeah um, definitely like you have that opportunity to to tear down a little bit. And um, they did. I mean, the the Norman Powell move for them and getting Gary Trent instead, like I, I think it actually kind of works out for both teams in some ways. But um, depending on how the summer goes, I guess I should say for both teams. But for sure, um, like there's something real in being like, OK, you know, we went to the Eastern Conference finals twice um, and you finally get that opportunity to roll the dice and trade for a player like Kawhi. And yeah, he only stays there for one year, but. I think that's what it's about for me. Like, I don't think that a guy's always going to leave after like that. Um, I mean, and and if, if the Raptors really lose, if yeah. the Raptors lose to the Warriors, if if Katie and Clay don't get hurt and the Raptors lose to the Warriors, it was still worth it. You made they it to the mountain top. Exactly. Yeah, that's the point. Like, that's the point is you take the risk to to take the next step, knowing that the other side is the desert and the and the Raptors are in a really unknown, uncertain place right now. But they're they've still got a pretty good roster. They've got a good 
Um, right now, a really good front office. We'll see what happens. Probably a pretty good coach. Like you, you know, I agree. Like I'm with you. Like you build it up the right way and and gives you the opportunity to take the big risks. Yeah, definitely. Let's so we haven't mentioned one name, and unfortunately, we are contractually obligated to talk about a very tall person who grew up in Australia and later moved to uh, to the United States as a teenager to be um, celebrated and then headed to Baton Rouge. We'll uh, we'll skip the timeline. We're talking about Ben Simmons. I want to ask you about him in the second segment. But first, I want to tell my listeners about Spotify Green Room. Spotify Green Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans, formerly known as Locker Room. You've you've joined me on there in the past. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me and other fans and all types of basketball folks. Um, it's live radio. That's what it is. Uh, that's not what it says here in the copy, but it's basically like a live version of this podcast. I have a ton of fun doing it. Uh, you can join in on the conversation if you're on there. Download the app. Follow me on there at Mike G. Rich. Uh, you'll get a notification when my rooms go live. I'm going to be hosting a room this week, the Lockdown Blazers room, 6 p.m. Pacific time on Wednesdays. There's a chat feature in there where you can ask your questions. If you want to hop on, you can request to speak. We can have a back and forth. If there's so many times when I have shared an opinion that you hate on this very podcast, what a great time to come on and push back. Or something that you love, what a great time to just sort of interact. Um, I've really enjoyed using Green Room. I think you will too. So like I said, download the app. Join me this week, Wednesday at 6 p.m. Spotify Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. All right. So chatting here with Mark Schindler, co-host and co-creator of Premium Hoops, found at premiumhoops.org and a regular contributor to Indie Cornrows, an SB Nation site covering the Indiana Pacers. We talked about sort of the value of continuity and balancing when to make a big move and when not to, but there's a big move on the horizon and it's with a confounding player. And Mark, I want to start here. Is Ben Simmons still really good? Did something happen? Is he not good anymore? <laughs> Uh, no, apparently, I mean, if you ask anybody else, Ben Simmons is, uh, maybe a sixth man. So I, uh, no, Ben Simmons is fantastic, <laughs> man. I, uh, I understand, um, some of the, uh, you know, initial fan reaction. Uh, I personally, like I can be, uh, really annoying at times with it because I, uh, I, I'm more just the neutral observer of the game. I'm not really a fan of anyone. Like I, I love watching individual players and teams, but, um, I just like don't really care enough about an individual team to be a, to be a fan. Um, but with Ben Simmons, right. like I think this was obviously a terrible showing from him uh, offensively, but I also think you have to point out too, uh, like, okay, if, if the Sixers win game seven, then what we're talking about today or, or immediately after the game is how Trey went five of 23, Ben Simmons was his primary defender. And uh, you know, he shot them out of the game, blah, 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 all that. Um, I think, he still was more of a net positive on court than a negative or maybe even just a neutral, but the last two, two games specifically were, were really, really bad for him uh, yep. offensively. Um, what did you, I'd ask you not to, you know, make this my own pie, but like, no, please, what did you no, think please. of the, uh, the post game uh, from doc rivers and, and Joel Embiid? Because that was a, uh, that was funky. Um, like that, that was a really weird post game to experience uh, and see all the, the comments coming out from that. I don't know that I've ever, um, I don't know that I've ever watched something where it was very clear that the, the, the coach and the other star player had a plan. They had a, they were like, yeah, we are, it is time to blame Ben. <laughs> like, like Ben's let's, let's unload the quiver yeah. and blame Ben. Um, like I can see, I understood Joel Embiid's frustration. Uh, yeah. 
you know, dunk the ball dog. Um, but, uh, you, you know, I, Doc Rivers has been so protective of Ben Simmons this year, and he's always talked about what Ben Simmons can do as opposed to what he can't do, which is something that's usually lost in basketball analysis. We focus on anyone's um, mm-hmm. issues. You know, everyone's obsessed with Giannis's shooting threes or whatever, and instead forgets that he's like, um, you know, super supercharged Shaq or something like that. And we're obsessed with Ben Simmons' offensive game despite and miss the things that he does really well. And Doc Rivers spent most of this season reminding us of that. Um, at most of his media availabilities. And then after game seven, he was just like, yeah, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know if this dude can help us win, basically. Um, and, and Embiid was pissed and they were all ready to be mad at Ben. They were ready to point the finger. Everyone was, everyone had it, had the agenda ready and ready to point the finger. Um, like you said, Ben Simmons was really bad in the last two games. <laughs> he wasn't good. Um, and his, his fit in a half court offense in playoff basketball is confounding and strange but the idea that he's like not like his ceiling is like one of the 15 best players in the league right like i don't think that that hasn't for me that hasn't changed yeah no definitely not i i mean i think um he wasn't all nba for me this year but he was obviously i mean first team all defense second i i wouldn't have had him second in dpoi i understand why people did um he was fantastic this year even like offensively like it, not as much in the playoffs as things toned tone down but also it's just hard for him to be an offensive. Well, I wouldn't say it's hard for him to be an offensive plus, but in terms of like, um, you know, playing alongside Joel. All right, if you're relegating Joel to be a, a jump shooter to try and make Ben a better, uh, you know, a better offensive weapon, you're not going to do that because Joel Embiid is one of the best, uh, not one of the best post scorer in the NBA, one of the best ever, um, and. It, wow. it just Nikola Jokic fans, Mark. That's Mark Schindler. I love Jokic. Okay, no, Nikola Jokic is probably the best, probably the best post player in the NBA. But in terms of pure scoring, I mean, no, yeah, I'm just, I'm it, trolling it is, you. It is Joel. No, I know. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's so tough. But also too, like he just, he, he wouldn't shoot it in the last two games. Yeah. That's what's, what's so damning about it. But I also just think like, okay, the dude is 24 years old, like people are acting like he's a finished product uh and i'm not even worried about the shooting it's just like i don't care if he shoots threes um i i like in principle i like yes please just shoot i don't care if you miss like just shoot it uh make the defense at least pretend that they have to guard you um it's more so to me just like okay well take a shot and transition be willing to to do some of that stuff screen and rescreen like i, I think that's where we're going to see differences um and, and it's something i've thought about a lot too because um you know, I think so much changed for Ben when Markel Fultz uh, did not pan out, uh, right. obviously got injured. So that made a huge part of it. But like that really, that was the sign where it's like, oh, OK, well, you're our point guard now or or not even like it's arbitrary to say positions. But like you're going to be running all of our offense for us. Yeah, you're one of the, the guys who was supposed to didn't us. work. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I think that somehow changing out in wherever he is next year that's going to be huge to see how that develops for him but i i mean i'm confident that he's going to be a good player still um yeah i, I it's just people the, the pendulum swings way too far um but also he does yeah, i mean his criticism his for how the game went yeah i think i think he was bad on offense and his fit on high level basketball teams can be is is going to be a challenge for whatever high level basketball team he is but his floor is so high like he's just he's gigantic and he can he's the most versatile defender in the NBA um he's uh he seems a little stubborn is the thing that I would worry most about him is not um 
it's not that he's, I, he doesn't strike me as someone who's scared. He strikes me as someone who says, I play this way and they gave me a max contract. I'm the number one overall pick in the draft. I got a max contract. Like I'm, I'm good. I don't need to grow my game. They should grow around me. And that, that worries me a little bit is the stubbornness. Um, but I do think with a different roster, if he didn't have to play all of his minutes with Joel Embiid and Dwight Howard on the floor in, in a playoff series, he could be better. Like, your teammates matter. And I think in a slightly different situation, you could maximize more of what you get out of Ben Simmons and homie needs to be aggressive on offense. He cannot go stand at the dunker spot and pray the ball doesn't come to him. It's, it's both. Yeah. It's really interesting too. I don't know if you read your Ron Weissman's piece. Uh, yeah. I loved it. I, it. I loved Fox it. Sports. It was fantastic. I mean, like in reading that, um, that really stood out to me and it just in hearing stuff and um, being around in general, like, it really seems like a lot of it is just not wanting to make mistakes, um, like kind of, uh, you know, just not wanting to be the guy who is missing a bunch of shots. Uh, I think um, I, I want to say it was Jack McMullen wrote a really big piece on that uh, last year or the year before as well. Um, so that's kind of always been in the back of my mind thinking about it. And it, it's become very, very much so apparent and just on, on spotlight now. Um, but I do think that's something that's going to change. And it's tough, like. Like even in his post game, I think some people took it as arrogance, um, which I didn't necessarily agree with. But like when he he leans over to the staff and he's like, "Okay, well, what did Trey go go for tonight? He was a primary <laughs> guard, five of twenty three. How many assists did I have? Thirteen. And I get like a lot of people like, "Oh, he just doesn't want to grow his game. He's arrogant." Like, um, you you made such a great point. It's just like the dude is the number one pick, and he. I think I can't think of another number one pick. I, I mean, who was uh, who came in and played well. I should say I, I'm not including Anthony Bennett in this, but like a guy who came in with the expectations he had and was not considered the best player on his team or the guy that they're building around. And that's not, again, it's not an excuse, but like um, it's just different. Like it's a very, it's, it's a fact though that they never built the roster around Ben's skills. They built it around Embiid's skills with hoping that Ben was weird enough to make it fit. Yeah. And I also push back on too. Like I think uh, some people have said, Oh, well he hasn't done anything to improve. Like his game has gotten better. Um, again not in the ways that you necessarily like expected or, or wanted it to but um th that he became like one of the five best defenders in the nba was not something i expected coming out of college um but i guess <laughs> i do want to counter it too like I, I'm, I'm assuming this is heading towards uh our ben and uh, a ben and cj swap right yeah i wasn't gonna ask you because i know you hate trade machine but you already did it to yourself so yeah give me your thoughts i personally really like that um, I think CJ does a lot for, uh, does a lot for the Sixers. Uh, I think he's a better passer than he's ever gotten credit for. Um, like he's not somebody who I necessarily want as like my lead guard. I do think they'd have to do some finagling around the, the edges to, to make that make a little bit more sense playmaking wise. But in terms of a guy who can get like, he's not somebody who I necessarily trust to get downhill, but he's good enough at, um, at operating off of someone else. And I think, you know, if he's playing off of Embiid, that would be fantastic. He brings you a lot more as a shooter. He'd probably be, I mean, him and Seth together would be fantastic. We've already seen that before. Um, I still would want to see more of a downhill threat for them. But uh, considering that Ben is not really that right now, I, I, what do they have to lose by trading for somebody who just at least brings pull-up shooting? Um, but then for the Blazers, like, I actually think if that is the trade, like if it's CJ and Picks for, for Ben, I think you do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, I smashed number one, you're getting smash the like button. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just don't know. Like to anybody who's hesitant on that, I just don't understand. Um, 
like that would immediately be the second best player. I mean, that second best, the, the, the best player who Dame has played with uh, in the NBA since LaMarcus. Um, right. And even then, like, I think, I mean, LaMarcus was all NBA at that point. So I guess you could say he's better, but um, like what Ben would bring, I you could do more to get uh, Dame off ball, which I think some people are like, oh, well, I don't want Dame off ball. Well, at the same point, you have to get him off ball at times because if he's going to become a, uh, a more active or engaged defender, I think it comes with him being off ball a little bit more. I like what Ben could do getting them on the break. And most importantly, too, like he'd be the first wing in the Dame era who could actually stop somebody at the point of attack. Um, like, it, you know, I, I, not to throw shade at Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu, but... He really came um, after my boy Al Farouk Aminu right there, but I'm going to let... I, I love Al. Slide. Al was great. He had a tough <laughs> season this year, but um, yeah. yeah, no, Ben would be just fantastic fit. And I, I like the idea if you could actually operate more as a four, you're not forcing him to be your lead facilitator. And a lot of it is, you know, I think you would have to um, hope that he's going to change his game up. But at the same time, if you playing alongside Damian Lillard is very encouraging for changing your game up as far as I'm concerned. Like he's one of the guys who I look at like LeBron, Dame. Uh, it's very difficult to not change your game up playing around with those guys, especially with, with how they are in the locker room and, and uh, vocally as well. Like I, I love it. I'm all, I'm all, I'm all in on it. As if you can't tell by my three minute monologue, that's uh, I'm very much so a fan of Ben Simmons in Portland. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it, it seems like a no-brainer to me, but it also like comes with a caveat that it might not work, but that's the whole thing. Like, that's why we talked, opened this episode talking about continuity. Is there value in just like tr kind of saying we know what we can be with this or is there value in taking a relatively big swing and knowing like this could really, this could blow up? Um, I, I think I'm at the stage in terms of like where the Blazers are that like you just, you just swing knowing that it could be a strikeout. Because uh, if you don't, it sends the signals to maybe an unhappy star player that says, you know, we're fine. Like, we think we're fine. And I don't think you want to, I just don't think you want to tell them that. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, um, I mean, I think th this is just me reading into it. I think Dame's probably at the level where he's like, okay, I understand. You know, we have to, uh, we have to make a move. And if that means trading CJ, I'm going to have to understand it. Um, because, I mean, just again, it's just me from an outside perspective, but uh, with how Dame has handled everything since the loss, like, um, I mean, this is the, uh, I don't want to say least optimistic or anything, but like, this is the first time where it's very much so felt like, okay, I think there need to be changes. Uh, and sure. clearly, I mean, like, but, you know, say what you will, like this stuff coming out from Chris Haynes is not like, as I'm sure you're aware too, as I've gotten deeper into media and learned more about it, like, this isn't just happening by mistake. Like th this <laughs> yeah. is very much so like Dame wants changes to happen. Um, and I think they're going to clearly, I, if they don't, I mean, he's going to be, uh, we're, we're probably going to get bigger stuff from Chris Haynes sooner rather than later, but exactly. Um, yeah. But I, I would say too, the last thing on Ben, like, uh, like if you get that return for CJ, that's amazing. As far as I'm concerned, you're getting a player who it has four years left on their deal is already an, an all-star level player. Um, and theoretically fits better next to Dame. Like even if things do go South with Dame, which, you know, I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom, but that's, you know, always a possibility point being like, okay, well you have Ben Simmons now and that, that means something going forward. And that's, that's just valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with it. Let's uh, come back in the third segment and uh, and just talk playoff big picture stuff before uh, I let you get out of here, Mark. But first, I want to tell my listeners about Built Bar. It's the best tasting protein bar on the market. 
Y'all know about it. If you listen to this podcast, you've heard me tell you that Built Bar tastes great. I've been doing it for a long time. Nothing's changed. It still really is the best tasting protein bar I've ever had and the best tasting protein bar you can find. Comes in nine delicious flavors. My personal favorite is peanut butter brownie, but there's something for everybody like coconut and coconut almond, raspberry. Uh, there's a caramel brownie and there's a double chocolate, some limited time flavors too. So make sure you're checking builtbar.com to uh, see what they've got in store for a short time. They're good. They're also good for you. At least 17 grams of protein and five grams of net carbs or fewer. So go get yourself some of these delicious bars. Go to locked, uh, go to builtbar.com. Use that promo code locked 15. You'll get 15% off your first order. That's locked 15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by betonline.ag. It's just the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. That's the simplest way to say it. If you want to bet on the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, they got action for you right there. And live live scores, live odds, updating odds, props on almost anything you can imagine. If you don't want to bet on playoff action, what about the MLB's regular season, the WNBA's regular season? Or if you're into non-ball sports... How about UFC and MMA? How about the the Euros going on right now, all morning on the West Coast? A wonderful thing to get in on the action. So, if you're into if you were into anything related to sports betting, there is one place to go. That's BetOnline.ag. So head on over there today, and when you're signing up, make sure you use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag. The promo code is Locked On, and you will get a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. We're still listening to Locked on Blazers. That music you're hearing right now comes from Dre Slaps. Dre has a new album out now called NRG. You can find a link to all of Dre's work in the episode description for this episode. Support local music, support Dre Slaps, who supports this podcast. You know who else supports this podcast? It's Mark Schindler, who we're still chatting with here the co-host and co-creator of Premium Hoops at premiumhoops.org and a regular contributor to Indie Cornrows. We talked about continuity. We talked a whole bunch about Ben Simmons, the uh, sort of topic de jour in Blazerland. But uh, Mark, I, w- I just want to pick your brain on the uh, on the playoff matchups remaining. Uh, what do you think about Clippers' Suns? And then we'll head to the, the Eastern Conference. By the time this comes out, they're going to have played game two. So um, you, can, you can just speak broadly. And then if it goes south, uh, we've already got the timing caveat on there. Yeah. Um, well, with Clippers' Suns, I'm not entirely done with the game yet, but I do know what, what happens the rest of the game. Um, I've been, I mean, just the entire playoffs in general, I've been so impressed with DeAndre Ayton. Um, it sounds reductive to just be like, oh, well, he's, you know, he's, he's found a way to play like a role player, but like legitimately, I mean, he went from somebody who was taking a lot of, uh, I mean, he still faces up every once in a while, but, um, he was taking a ton of those short mid range shots that weren't really that awesome. Uh, he's been great. Just like his. It, it, this sounds really nerdy and, and odd, but I've been really diving into draft work. So I, I'm talking more like a, like a draft person, but like his hip fluidity is ridiculous. Um, like I was watching a play in the game. Uh, Reggie Jackson gets the ball swung to him in the corner off a driving kick. So Aiden contests the driving kick with good verticality, closes out to the corner and is able to flip his hips without getting totally caught. And I, I'm, I just like think about like, okay, Yusuf Nurkic isn't doing that. Miles nope. Turner isn't doing that. There, there are very few guys who are capable of doing that. And that's not even like Miles Turner was, if, if he's healthy the whole year, he's all defense and almost DPOY. Like um, it's just really difficult to do that stuff. The way that he's tailored his game to, to really fit what they're doing 
and also just concurrently on the other end, like uh, it was kind of fascinating watching the way Monty Williams attacked uh, attacked the defense. Like um, they especially did it when DeMarcus Cousins was out there, but uh, they were doing a lot of high post, mid post uh, stuff to try and um, draw out their rim protection and, and get open lanes to the rim because the, the Clippers perimeter defense just wasn't that great in that game outside no, of a couple a guys. Tired, I thought. Yeah, um, and, and part of that's like I mean they're coming off of very little yeah. rest. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, that's very because they're rest. tired. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, they used that to their advantage to, to to beat them. And campaign too was just what a joy. Uh, he's been. It's been amazing watching campaign. Like I'll never forget the notification I got. Like oh, campaign is playing in summer league when he's in his like fourth or fifth year in the league, and now he's back and he's he's starting for a team in the Western Conference Final. So it's been yeah, like, uh, reasonable festivity filling in for Chris Paul, um, which is just bonkers. Yeah. I, I totally agree, man. And also shout out Paul George. He's been, uh, even with like, you know, losing in that game, he was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, he was incredible. He didn't have a great fourth quarter spoiler. I don't know if you've got there in your rewatch yet, but I have not um, gotten there yet. Oh, <laughs> Paul George was figuring not a great fourth quarter from him, but yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's still a really good game. It's been, I, I fell in love with basketball because of Paul George and the 12, 13, 13, 14 Pacers. So um, I always have a little bit of a soft spot there, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've how do you feel t- about the Clippers overall right now? I um, I think they're really showing you the value of ha- being able to play a bunch of different shapes. I think that's like yeah. their ability to go small and and be switchy, and then their ability to go big and bruising, and they can go big and bruising with a guy they can throw it into the post to with Boogie, or they can go big and bruising with like a real like r- real strong rim runner in in Zubac. Like they they're and and you know, they're playing obviously without. Um, Ibaka, that would be a whole nother sort of big, big uh, opportunity mm. that they could go in with like a stretchy big, like I, their ability to play different shapes is so, inc- is really, really impressive. And Paul George, Paul George is sort of, um, you know, he's always been a probably underrated as a playmaker, but his ability to like really set the table, I think was what people said. Well, you know, it's a problem with Kawhi and, and Paul's that they're not great playmakers. Like he's really done such a good job. Um, and I don't know who this Reggie Jackson character is. Like, this is not the person I'm familiar with, but boy, has he been good. Like, whew, he's been fantastic. Yeah. I, uh, if you told me that Reggie Jackson was going to take 19 shots in the Western conference finals, I would have told you you're insane. Um, but <laughs> Reggie Jackson took 19 shots in the Western conference finals and has been pretty good, man. Like, uh, it just feels like everything is going to go in from him. Uh, which is again, not something I was expecting. He's been pleasantly surprising for the, the Clippers team. And it, it's been cool to watch because um, he really struggled in, in, in Detroit after, after he dealt with some of those ankle injuries. Yeah. Um, and and like, I, yeah, even right now, like, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I mean, I was just pulling up his, uh, I was trying to hedge a little bit. because I was trying to pull up his playoff numbers right now. So in the playoffs, he's, he's averaging 17 points per game in the playoffs on 50, 42, 92. Like that's insane, man. Uh, and he's taking it's Reggie seven Jackson. Games a game. It's, like it's just this is Reggie Jackson right now. Like it, yeah. it's wild to me. Um, yeah, shout out to this shout out to Sam Presti. Yeah. He knew Sam Presti. He always knows. <laughs> They're never yeah. on his team, but he always knows. Yeah, I'll never forget. Where were you when Reggie Jackson got iced out in his last game with the Thunder? Um, oh man, that was such yeah. a weird game to watch live. My favorite um, Reggie story from the Thunder is when he was like had a knee injury or whatever, and he was like, "Yep, I'm not playing." It was like a maybe like the first round of the playoffs. Like, yeah, I'm not playing today. And then like the media scrum ended and he went and like dunked on the practice court, like in front of all the media members. Like he grabbed a ball and dun- he's like, no, my knee's not, not good. I'm not going to be able to play. And then he dunks in front of everyone. It's like, who is this dude? Um, he's come a long way, come a long way since then for sure. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, it's so in, in looking at this upcoming playoff series though with uh, Hawks Bucks. Yeah. Um, I part of me wants to take the Hawks, and I'll I'll, I'll say why. Like, um, I think some people are gonna hear that and be like, "Well, what what are you talking about?" I personally like I uh, I didn't think that they were going to beat the Sixers. I thought they'd be a tough test. I'd picked them to beat the Knicks in I think five or six. Um, which is not to hype myself up. I didn't think that they'd do it the way that they did. But, um, you know, I, I think I look at this Hawks team and the, their ability to uh, – um, it, it, they remind me almost of like a bend-don't-break defense in, in the NFL. Like they're good enough at plugging the gaps. Even if they're not awesome at the point of attack, they have so much length and they yeah. have really smart players who are capable of, of filling the gaps. Um, their help defense is fantastic. Bogdan Bogdanovich is a really good help defender. I love him at the nail. Um, even on one knee, he was really good in that last game defensively. He's really strong, too. Kevin Herter does a lot of stuff in terms of trying to deter things. And I thought Trey Young has been, especially given expectations, like I've liked what he's done on defense. Um, I, I do think the that the Bucks will have more opportunities to try. Like I, I, I think – Drew Holiday is going to have a lot of opportunities to take him on one on one. Yeah, the Bucks run just more of that. Matches. Yeah, the, the Bucks like run the Bucks more of look... the, the yeah more of those like four four one five one whatever position you think Giannis plays pick and rolls yeah. where they'll let Drew be the screener and if and if Trey is guarding him, um, he will be challenged in a way that the that Phillies uh, personnel didn't didn't just couldn't do because they just don't have the right types. Like with all due respect to Tyrese Maxey. No, no, you're totally right. I mean, that's that's stuff that the Knicks and the Sixers both didn't have. But I also think, um, just in looking at the way that the offense goes, I'm I don't like obviously you don't want that to happen. But I also think the Hawks have enough defensively and have been really smart schematically to try and negate some of that stuff from happening. Like I, sure. I'd imagine that they're just going to try and do some scram switching and um, throwing a lot of interesting stuff out to to make it very difficult to to just isolate Trey. Um, but also, like, I just have a lot of confidence in the Hawks offense. Like, they have so many guys. Like, they've just showed the value to me of second side creation. Like, yep. I look at the Bucks, and, again, a lot of it's isolation. I hate how long it takes for them to get into their sets because this year they were so fast. that, Like, just they'd run a lot of quick hitter actions. It was great during the regular season. And now they're routinely starting their possession like 10 seconds into the shot clock, and I felt like that was really a negative for them against the Nets. I look at the Hawks team, even with like like we mentioned, Trey Young went five of twenty three, but I thought he had a really good game in Game Seven and what he was able to do. Like he got everything he wanted. He was taking good shots; they just weren't falling. Um, like anytime he got downhill, okay, even if he has to pass the ball out, it's not over. Like Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, Kevin Herter, Danilo Gallinari, they're all keep capable uh, and, and willing and, and good at keeping the play moving. And even if they aren't able to. Uh, to capitalize they're, they're getting a good good look or a good pass out of it and um i don't feel the same way about the bucks right now and i, I just trust that the hawks defense is going to be good enough like I, I don't know how you feel about Giannis in this like i think i mean of course Giannis is fantastic he's, he's going pretty, to, pretty good yeah yeah he's, he's he's really good at basketball believe it or not um but i just think like when you when you have as much uh help ability as the Hawks do, if you're able to really try and wall up everything on the inside, um, I, I think that they just have enough. I trust their offense a lot more than I trust uh, the Bucks' offense. And I, I don't know. I think that's how I look at it right now. I'm not definitive in going one way, one way or the other. Um, but 
I think not enough people are are giving the Hawks credit going into the series. Yeah, I'm I'm expecting at this point to see you swag surfing in the crowd in Atlanta by, <laughs> uh, by game three. So I'll 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 keep my eye out, I'll eagle eye by uh, by game three to see you full you know fully dressed out in your Dominique Wilkins jersey, um, getting hyped for the Hawks with a little scrappy at all. Um, Wearing yeah, my uh, my my Josh Smith uh, OG jersey from uh, yeah. from like 2005. There you go. Um, I I I'd probably lean Bucks just because I don't. I think they're going to put Capella on Giannis and I think that's a good idea. But, but I think like as those things break down behind, I worry a little bit about the one-on-one matchups, but like you said, like the, the one-on-one matchups are important because the bucks are obsessed with attacking, (laughs) attacking in isolation or attacking like a singular matchup to say, okay, let's, let's hunt this for the, you know, first 17 seconds of the possession and then we'll go to work. Um, I think the Bucks' defense will be um, the the Sixers' problem wasn't defense at all, but I think the I think I like what the Bucks how they can match up um, with this Hawks mm-hmm. team. Um, as good as 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 Bogey was, I worry about the knee injury a bunch because I think he's, yeah. he's really crucial what they do. I don't think we're going to see another Red Velvet game like that. Even though I'm a big <laughs> fan, um, as I told a friend when I was watching one of the earlier Sixers Hawks games, like it's like Kevin Herter just has a bunch of stuff. Like he just has a bunch of stuff in his game. Like he can he can pass a little bit. He can he can obviously shoot off the dribble and like if he sees a mismatch, the thing he does is shoot it. Um, and that's like you said, like I think what we're seeing in the playoffs over and over again is that the ability to create your own offense, create your own shot is the most valuable skill in the league right now. That's just like where we're at as a, as, as a, as a, as a basketball, as a sport. Um, and the Hawks have a bunch of different dudes who can do it. Um, and, and that even doesn't even take into account the great pick and roll partners with John Collins and, and, and Clint Capella and, and my boy, a who's looked really good, um, in the late late stage of the playoffs. So, um, I like the Hawks. I, I think they are not a fluke, but, um, I think they're playing at a relatively significant talent deficit. So I'll, I'll lean bucks. I'll lean bucks and sons. Like I'll, I'll, I'll call my shot. Um, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be super surprised if Milwaukee and Atlanta goes deep. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I'm a, I would be so happy with how great is it that we can say that there's gonna be, a, there could be a bucks sons, uh, playoffs. In, right. In and it would final. be the favorites that makes winning, me happy, even man. incredible. That's yeah. awesome. Like, I love that. All right, let's, let's get you out of here, Mark. I know you got things to do. Uh, follow, Mark on Twitter at M Schindler NBA, as he reminds me, spelled just like the list. Uh, follow premiumhoops.org. Check him out, his work on Indie Cornrows. Mark, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it, Mike. Dear listeners, tell your friends about this podcast. Tell them they can get it wherever they already listen to podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. <laughs>